Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Time to rise and shine. If you didn't, how many got your blood stirring now? That's better than a latte, isn't it? My gosh. Thank the Lord for his goodness, his faithfulness to all generations, including ours, right? Yeah. So uh, we're in a series called Dream Again. I'm going to be in two passages, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Deuteronomy 6. So in the back of your Bible, 2 Timothy 3, in front of your Bible, Deuteronomy 6. But before we get too far from intentional, I just, I, I want to tell you, that's one of the lies of Satan, is that you evolved. Did you know that? Because if you evolved, that means you are here just by chance. And if you have a brother like I do, he'll say, you weren't here by chance, you evolved. You know, that's my brother, like you came out from under a rock. And uh, it, you understand, you could be a mistake. Understand that? You could be, uh, I'm only here by, by chance. And God says, no, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You are not here by mistake. Actually, he had a mission for you in mind before he even created you. So before you were even showing up on earth, he, he marked your steps, counted the hairs on your head. He cares for you. If he can feed the sparrows, he can certainly take care of you and me. And so he has a great plan for you and me. And that's part of what the series Dream Again is all about. So... Uh, when we sing songs like Intentional, they are so biblically rich uh, because God's, he means business about what he, what he says, about his creation. He's out for your good. He's out for his glory, but ultimately that ends up being your good. You can't go wrong when you follow the Lord. And, and so when I talk about, um, we, we talk about this occasionally that God creates the heavens and the earth, he was very intentional in the creation. And in light of that, then why, what are we here for? Four, where do we come from, where, what are we doing here, and where are we headed? Those are the three great questions. Dream Again will help answer some of those things. Now, when we start uh, this morning, what I, talk, what I want to start with is this. There are three common, common questions people ask. They go like this. When they, they talk about the best days of their lives, they'll say things like this. The best day of my life was the day I was born. That's the start, at least for me. I, I came into the world kicking and screaming. Um, and you say, I don't remember it. Yeah, people around you do. They can't forget. And um, so there are three great days. The day you were born, the day you were born again, the day you trusted Jesus, you, you came to spiritual faith and spiritual birth, and then the day you found out what God was up to in your life, the day you found out why you're here on earth. So the day you're born is important, and uh, you know your birthday, right? It's a special day. And, um, and then, but the day you come to Christ in faith, that's important. And now I need to camp on that just for a moment. Because when we talk about dreaming again, uh, you can't dream again if you've never really uh, seen the dream for the first time. And the dream is what God's plan is for your life. And the way that happens is you're born physically, but God wants you to be born spiritually. You're spiritually dead when you physically are born. And so what, what Christ does is he comes to earth pays for the sins of the world he says you trust me you'll be spiritually alive in a dimension you've never been before and some of you just need to trust the lord maybe for the first time some of you are saying i trust the lord but not in steps of faith i I need to increase my faith and that was the prayer of the disciples too and that's why you're in church to increase your faith to walk in faith with the lord so that you're born secondly second uh question would be this uh, what would be the the best part about my life the day i was born again and then the third part is the day you realize, this is why I'm here. This is why God created me. Because the one who knows and creates you, he knows best how you should operate or what you're like. In fact, uh, how many of you 
how many of you once were um, children? Okay, most of us, okay. You had certain behavior patterns and your parents could predict what you were going to do next, right? You probably had a third grade teacher who you thought had eyes in the back of her head and uh, although she had nice hair, all that, you were convinced she could see you. And why did she not? Because she knew your behavior patterns, right? She knew you. And she's only your third grade teacher. Your mom, your dad, they knew you. Just think about the creator who intricately put you together. Just think how much more he knows about you than you know about yourself. So we can trust him when he says, I have a great plan for your life. I have something better than you can imagine. Here's the problem. Proverbs chapter 29 puts it this way. Where there is no revelation, uh, people are going to cast off restraint. They're not, going to, they're not going to live according to God's word, but they're not going to live in an orderly way. King James put, Version puts it this way. Where there is no vision, people perish. It's even stronger than that. It's not that they just died. They actually self-destruct. Where there is no vision where people have no revelation. In fact, if you don't know why God has you here, you will self-destruct, you will perish. I, I like best what, the, what the, uh, uh, the message puts it this way. And message is really a paraphrase. It's kind of a, a massaging of the words to give a little better explanation. And it goes like this. If people can't see what, what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Isn't that, that's a great picture, isn't it? If you can't really see what God is up to, you will run into the wall. You'll run, you'll trip, you'll fall down, you'll self-destruct. But when they attend to what God has done in their lives, when what he has revealed, there's our word for vision or revelation, when we attend to that, what happens? We are the most blessed. Now that, that word for blessed, Old Testament word, is the word for happy, but it's more than what we think of happy. Um, we have, we have the word happy, which is, has to do with happenstance or, or circumstances, and that's okay, but blessed is a little better than that. In fact, it's like happiness because there is joy or contentment. Happiness because we know what we're up to, so there's meaning to this joy. There's meaning to this, and it's a lasting kind of contentment. So now, go back to the message again. If people can't see what God is doing in their lives, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to stumble all over themselves. They're just not going to make it in life. But if they will attend to what God reveals, then they're happy, but in a long-lasting, standing kind of happiness. Those are vision-driven people who attend to the perfect law of liberty, which gives to them life. Um, this is illustrated for us. Uh, uh, a guy by the name of Chris Hodges tells this story, and it takes place at a racetrack in Florida. And it's a dog track. That offends you, I'm sorry. Write me. My name is Sadiq Abdullah <laughs> at sapatomac.org. Okay. Okay. Sorry, Sadiq. Not really. Okay. But uh, it takes place at a racetrack in Florida, and dogs are racing. And here's the deal dogs just will do anything if you just put something in front of them. It, uh, but when there's horse racing, you can put a person on the back of that horse and that person will ride the horse and steer the horse and encourage the horse forward. You can't do that with a dog because the dog's too small. So what do they do in Florida? 
before they start the race, they have a mechanical rabbit on the track. I don't know if you knew this or not. It's just a fuzzy piece. It's on the inside of the track. And when they hit, bing, start the race, this mechanical rabbit takes off in front of the dogs, and then the dogs chase the rabbit. Okay? That's the way the race goes. I don't know. I've just read about it in books. Okay? <laughs> Chris tells the story that one day at that racetrack in Florida, the mechanical rabbit blew up and just went partway into the race, just blew up and the fur went everywhere. And so the dogs are already out of the, uh, and they're running, but they don't know what they're going to chase now. So they've just taken off the crowd's cheering, you know, and then the, the rabbit blows up and uh, a third of the dogs laid down on the track. Another third of the dogs kept running and hurt themselves by running back into the gates, okay? And another third of the dogs turned on the crowd and howled at them, like, help us, get us out of here. Why are you staring at us? Yeah, okay, this, my friend, is a parable. If you don't have something to chase, you're gonna lay down. How many of you know lazy people? How many of you know people who hurt themselves? Don't raise your hand, don't point, please. And how many of you know people who just howl at other people? You know what I'm talking about? They just cause problems for other people. So what's Chris Hodges' deal? That whole, that whole parable? Chase the rabbit. Make sure you're focused on the vision, what you need to be chasing. Because many of us will chase the wrong thing, right? We'll chase money. We'll chase prestige and, and, and programming. We'll chase all kinds of things. Craig Groeschel is a pastor in Oklahoma and a wonderful guy. He actually has written on this thing of the blessing, a book called Chazon, C-H-A-Z-O-W-N. It's the Hebrew word for vision. And he says, he, he asked 100 church leaders, these are not people in the community, 100 church leaders, if you had millions of dollars, could do anything you wanted, what would you do? He was ready to write on the whiteboard, feed the hungry, um, get clean water for countries, uh, lower crime. He had all those things to write out. That's what was in his head, okay? He says, if you had millions of dollars, you could retire today, you could do anything you want, what would you do? You know what they said? Build a bigger house, get a better car. Isn't that sad? Those are Christian leaders. Uh, unfortunately, if you chase the wrong rabbit, that'll be your life too. You know, you're made for more than that. Way, way, way more than that. So, when Christ came to earth, he said, uh, there are five things I need you to get done. One is you need to, first and foremost, love me with all your heart, that's called worship. And then you need to love people, connect with people. That's what you wanna be known for, is a person who just loves people. A person who's growing in your faith. And a person who is serving other people. You're making the world a better place, but then you're sharing the best news of the story of Jesus. Jesus said, those are the, those are the ingredients, Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Those aren't just a purpose statement about a church. They're really about a purpose statement about our own hearts and lives. It's the way we want to be described at the end of our lives and certainly down the middle of our lives. We left off last week by taking note of, you may have a strength in those five, and yours, you may have a really good one, and then I, I said, highlight that one, and when I left you off, we said, then get your next best one and work on that one to bring it up a little bit. And I know... Some of you would say, well, I, I figured you'd want me to work on my worst one. I don't want you to work on your worst one because it's your worst one. <laughs> and you won't be good at that one. 
You'll, you'll get it eventually, hopefully, but you'll be better off having success if you go after one where you're already having some success. This is the, in, this is the issue of encouragement. If you go after your worst one, there's a fair chance you're gonna fail at it and then you'll be discouraged and discouragement will cause you just to quit, to stop altogether. So pull together your best one. Maybe you're really, you're really good at worshiping the Lord. You have great times of worship and you're really good at serving, but you haven't grown much in the faith or you don't really share your faith that much. But, but there might be a stronger one of those two, then go after the one that's stronger because what's going to happen is, and we're not talking about your failures. You need to confess your failures, forsake them, change your pattern of behavior. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about your strengths because you will be known for certain things. Uh, I think of David in the Old Testament. Uh, not a perfect guy, but a worshiper of God. I think of Joshua, a guy who got it done, a guy who was after the word, growing in his faith. Ruth, a real servant of the Lord. So everybody has his strength. Find your strength and get to it. Be known for that, right? Because you'll be, you won't be known for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. You'll be known for one or two things in life. If you don't believe me, I just, um, let's just do a little quiz here. When I say the name Abraham Lincoln, what words come to mind? Yeah, pretty good words, right? Mm-hmm. When I say um, the Wright brothers, whee, oh, no, <laughs> yeah. Their flight went 300 feet, was 20 minutes late, and the lunch was bad, yeah. Okay, yeah. When, when you say uh, Ulysses Grant, what do you think of? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Neil Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Clara Barton. You just, there are certain things you're going to be known for just one thing. And a person could do a lot of good things, and if they do a, a couple of bad things, that's what you know them for. Right? It's just the way it is. So you have to decide right now, this is what I want to be known for. And more importantly, when you arrive in heaven, Jesus is going to be asking you about five questions. Did you really love me, worship me? Did you really love the people around you? Did you really? Yeah, that patience thing that was hard. Yeah, I, I put people in your life to help you with that patience. Actually, I, I arranged for those problem people to be in your life. Oh, that was a part of the plan. Yes, it was. That was the curriculum, actually. Yeah, yeah. Were you growing in your faith? Oh, I'm not really good at growing. Do you want to stay small the rest of your life? No, I really want to grow. Then, and then grow, not just in the faith, but grow in every aspect of your life. I was uh, listening to a, a podcast by Andy Stanley a couple weeks ago. Andy Stanley is a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. Great guy, godly guy, written a bunch of books, 20 books. Really good guy, if you ever hear him. Uh, he's got some good Bible teaching. He is the son of Charles Stanley. Now Andy's about 60. His dad is like 85, coming up to 90. His dad was old when I was a kid. All right? Okay, so, but he's still preaching in Atlanta, and he's still on radio. He's on radio, I think, worldwide, and, and he's on television. And he's still, he's just a walking sermon. He just, stuff just comes out of him. He's a wonderful Bible teacher, great godly man. And Anley tells this story just a, a year or two ago. He says, so I'm talking with my dad, and my dad says, hey, uh, Andy, do you know anybody older than me who's still preaching? 
And Andy goes, yeah, there's nobody older than you that's still preaching. <laughs> You're like the oldest guy I know. He goes, uh, why, Dad? He said, well, because I was hoping he could uh, mentor me, help me grow. He's 85. He goes, and I'm wondering if it's going to get any easier. <laughs> okay, if you're 85 and it's still not easy, I don't think it's going to get any easier. You understand, though, what you've got? You've got a guy who's constantly in the growth mode. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Don't you want to head to heaven saying, yeah, the week before I died, I learned this new skill, or I grew in my aspect of faith or prayer or grace with people. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, my. So find those aspects Dial them in and ask God, help me to increase because Psalm chapter 119 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. I need vision and that vision is gonna just light my path. Uh, and here's the, uh, here's the Hebrew, actually the, the backside of this story. Your word's a lamp to my feet, a, a light to my path. In that day, you couldn't see all the way down the path. All you could see was just what was in front of you. And that's all the step God asked you to take. It's just the step that's in front of you. In fact, a Jewish custom was this. Actually, there was a little bowl of oil that would be put on the sandal. And then there would be a wick, and then it would be lit. And when a guy was going down a path at night, that's all he could see was just the next step. And that's all God expects of you and me. It's just the next step. You don't need tons of light. You just need a little bit of light, just enough for the next step. And if you'll do that, he will help you step by step. Light doesn't require a lot. It just calls for for obedience, small steps. If you're taking notes, I found this to be interesting. Psalm 89, you walk in the light, David put it, Psalm 89, verse 15. And then the, the prophet Isaiah would project out into the future that there would come a savior, a king, and he would be the light. And a light would dawn Isaiah chapter 9 and when Jesus would show up he would say I am the light John chapter 8 and then John would later write about it first John chapter 1 that when we walk in the light because he is in the light we will have fellowship with him in other words we'll never be alone do you get this what a great word picture analogy so how do you do that second second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 just take a look at this but as for you, continue in what you've already learned and become convinced of, because you know that from who you learned it, verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. See, he's writing to Timothy, as a kid you knew the Scriptures. This is how you're going to grow in your faith. Which are able to make you wise to salvation. The Scriptures will do that for you. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he gives us the power pack of how the Scripture will change us. All Scripture, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, get, get these terms, for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that's you and me, may be thoroughly equipped to every good work. In other words, you get the word of God in you and you allow it to teach you, it, you allow it to tell you when you're off mark, rebuke you, and correct you, bring you back on mark, and then train you in the right mark. You allow the word of God to do that for you, you will be useful, not only in your own life, but you'll be a good servant of God, and you will be thoroughly equipped to every good work. We'll talk about that, every good work in another week or two. Now, uh, skip back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's the story on how you're going to do this. 
God's people, this is Old Testament now. The Bible's not, we're up to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's book number five. We don't have 39 Old Testament, 27 new yet, okay? We're up to book five. So there's not a lot of Bible. God's people have been uh, created, chosen, been given a property, but they've been in slavery. They're coming out of slavery. They're headed to the promised land. Before they get to the promised land, they get given the law. It's the book of Exodus. They're escaping. That's the exit, Exodus. Now they're going into the promised land. Before they go, they have this restatement of the law. It's called Deuteronomy. And he says, before you go in, you have to know this. As a people, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You've got to love the Lord your God. Get that? It's the way it's always been. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You know what? That's one of the things the Lord will be asking of us. Do you really love me? Do you? And then he says, these commandments I give to you, they're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Back up. These are commandments. When you love God, when you love God, verse 5, then verse 6, he says, I'm telling you this today. We need a place where you can unpack our hearts. This is, this is not just information for our heads. This has got to penetrate our hearts. It's got to change our attitudes. And if that were our prayer, oh God, even as I hear your word, change my attitude about and then fill in the blank. We need a place where we can be honest with ourselves. We're not in it to impress anybody else. It's one of the reasons we have small groups around here. You can be in a small group and you can say, oh, I had a lousy week. You can't do that in a large group like this. One guy in the room stands up and goes, I had a lousy week. People move away from him in case it's contagious. Or there's the competitive worshiper. I had a lousy week. You think your week was lousy. Mine was worse. And you know, the guy over here says, mine was even worse. No, we don't need that. Just need a small group where people pray and support each other. Okay, go back to the text. These words need to be on your hearts, verse 6. Now verse 7. Impress them on your children. What's that about? These have to be lasting values. These have to be values that matter for generation to generation to generation. Your kids will know you for something, so what's it going to be? What's it going to be? You have to pick your battles. You've heard us say that before, but it's true, isn't it? Pick your battle. Is that worth having? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Not so much. Um, and, and all of us, by the way, all of us are aging. All of us in the room, even the youngest person is aging, so you have to ask yourself, what will be the impact, and what is it that I'm carving out right now and because here's what will happen. There will be a day when you age out and then there will be a day that you die and then there'll be the day your kids fight over your accounts. Okay? And you've got to settle that battle before. Give it away. No, just kidding. Don't, you've got to figure out what it is you want to be remembered for. And was it for fast cars and glossy jewelry or was it for meaningful conversations around the table and moments of grace and moments of generosity and thoughtful thinking and good discussions even if you don't always agree were you gracious in the discussion we need to impress on ourselves because we're going to impress the next generation with values 
Here's the problem. We're surprised when um, the world is, we we say, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know what? We could predict that because the previous generation did the same thing. So we have to determine we're going to make it a different place. So we, we ask the Lord to put this truth upon our hearts, impress it on our children, so we leave them with something far more precious than money far more substantive than a car or a boat or a camper or a a summer home or a big bank account or whatever it is. Figure out what those values are for eternity, what really matters. I've told you this story before, but there's a motivational speaker by the name of John Maxwell who was a pastor for about 25 years and, and now just is on the road speaking. He made a lot of money on the motivational speaking side. And it, it gave to him an opportunity to travel around the world, do lots of things. He could buy stuff for his wife, and they loved that. But there was a problem that came into play. His son got used to that money. And, he, he, and, and John said, I, I couldn't stand it. His values were in the wrong place. And so when his son got ready to graduate from high school, you know what John did? John took his son, Joel, and put him on a plane to India to see Mother Teresa, to work in a soup kitchen. Because <laughs> he ain't going to be driving that car much longer if this continues. <laughs> you know, and you know what John did? He, he knocked all the consumerism out of his kid as a senior in high school. Sent him to India, and he worked, and he worked among uh, diseased people and uh, underprivileged people and changed his life, changed his life. And John said, we've got to get our son back on track before we lose him. This is a good guy. With good, with good kids. But even with all that goodness, it was working against Joel. And, and John said, well, we're not going to do this. And so he, he put him in a, in a far less privileged place. Uh, I won't forget it. When he uh, arrived, they put him on a train that took him across the, uh, the country to get to where Mother Teresa was. And he, he wrote his dad, I think he said, I sat on a, on a bench that was really just a board no back, I just sat on a bench and there were chickens on the train with me. Yeah. All right, go back to the text. Impress it on your children. Thirdly, we need life-related application lessons. This is why you have to be in a small group. Why? Because then you can just um, muscle this stuff out because we have to untangle the thoughts in the motion of life. It's a really uh, the fine art of not only personal meditation, but the idea of talking it around the room. And we need constant reminders that you're going to do this when you get down, when you, when you lay down, and when you get up. It has to be part of your life. So it has to be life-related application. It can't be some kind of starry monastery type of application because that'll never work. It just won't work. And we need constant reminders. Some of us just need symbols. Some of us are more visual than others. But you need symbols. He writes it this way. Tie them as symbols. Write them on the door frames. And why do you need to do that? Because your vision about your life is going to fade if you're not careful. The phrase is this. Vision leaks. It's really true. A corporation, a church, any organization, a family, they can have a vision. But in the busyness of life, vision leaks if you don't come back to it often. So you need these symbols to remind yourself. And what the the writer of Deuteronomy gives us are two great visuals. One is, go back to the text, tie them as symbols. See it in the beginning of verse 8. 
And then verse nine, write them on the door frames. Two actual word pictures he's referred to. And he says, tie them as symbols. And here's what uh, Jewish kids did. They took a little bit of Old Testament law. This is really cool. And they would just take a sentence or just one little piece of, of the law. They'd roll it up. And then there was a box that got strapped like a headband to their head. And when he says, tie it like a symbol, that was a reminder for them to meditate upon that portion of scripture. They also had it on the forearm as well. So they always had it with them. Isn't that cool? And then go back to the text again. Verse 9, write them on the door frames. This is another word picture because they remembered the stories of their family when they were escaping Egypt. And that night, an angel of death was going to fly over and, and, and knock out a whole generation of people if they didn't have faith. And the only security was to paint your doorpost with sacrificial blood and they did that. And so when you go back and you read the text now, verse 9, write them on the door frames. It's just like, this is written in blood. This is a big reminder. And they would not forget this. So some of us in the room, we need to set our values. Once you set your values, you need some symbols to remind yourself. It may be a piece of jewelry. It may be a headband. It may be a poster in your office. It may be a post-it note on the dashboard of your car. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you'll do that, what will happen? You'll keep the vision, and you'll keep it alive, you'll keep it fresh. Why is that so important? Because you were made for so much more than just getting by. Um, some of us are still under the idea that God created us, and now he's trying to figure out what to do with us. Like, I don't know what we're going to do with him. Look at him. Didn't plan on that showing up. No. He actually knew before you were born, you were gonna show up. He knew what your skill set would be, what your learning abilities would be, your intellect, your emotional state. He knew all that. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are, Psalm 139, fearfully, wonderfully made. Jeremiah the prophet, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper, to give you hope, to give you a future. I didn't just create you like mud, no, there's purpose for you. You've got to find that out. And when you do, you'll be rising to live for more, for more, for more. Would you bow with me in prayer? Let's stand to our feet, shall we, as we pray? Keep us, O oh God, from the disaster of just wandering through life without the dream, without the hope, without direction. We know certain things you have for us. You want us to love you. May we do that well. You want us to love other people. You want us to be growing in our faith and serving others and certainly sharing the best story of the news of the world. But how you work that out in our lives individually, Lord, we don't know how that's going to happen. And so we ask you, we open our lives to you right now, and we ask you, would you help us take the next step? And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm, I'm praying that prayer, but I want you to pray that prayer. In the symbol, you just hold your hands out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me take the next step. 
For some of you this week, it'll be to step into the growing of your faith by having time in the Word on a regular basis. For others of you, you, you know, you know it's stepping into serving the Lord with gladness. For others, you've been showing up to worship, but you really don't worship your, yourself. You just watch other people worship. You say, okay, Lord, from now on, it's, I'm engaging in this because this is too good just to watch. I want to be a part of it because I really want to love you. And we want to love you, Lord, not just with our heads or not just with our hearts, but through and through, body, soul, and spirit. We want to love you and follow you all the days of our lives. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' matchless name. And the church would say amen.